0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39 is where we're going to start. There are sermon notes in the bulletin. For those of you who are visiting, please pull those out. We've been studying 1 Corinthians, a book that is about answering trials, problems, difficulties. People have problems in life, and the Apostle Paul knows that that, had, that infiltrates the church. And throughout this, this letter, he's correcting them. But what he also knows, and I'm hoping that you all looked this week, is that you looked and went through different passages and you saw that what was underlying almost every issue, something about arrogance, where they felt like they got it all, they knew it all. And so we looked at that last week in chapter four, where he just, I recognize there's arrogant people amongst you. So now, as we come to verse 39, let me read. It says this All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of beasts and another flesh of, uh, there's one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in this entire section is trying to get us to understand that the resurrection body makes sense, and he's working on an analogy. But all of it fits with this overarching theme, yes, there is a resurrection for believers. And the issue was, as Paul came into the 15th chapter, after he's talked about spiritual gifts in chapters 12 to 14, He comes and he starts talking about the gospel, which is tied to the resurrection of Jesus. It's integral to it. And then he begins to verify the fact that there is really a resurrection of Jesus. And he gives all these witnesses. But then we go, remember the verse 12. And you can look at verse 12. At the end of it, he says, Now, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And from verses 13 to 19, he gives all these rhetorical responses to try to drive home, yeah, you got to understand, there is a resurrection of the dead. But now what he does is he gives this, this big picture, this big picture of five major reasons. I call them five big reasons, and I've given you these so that you know where we're going. And where we're going is trying to show that there is an order of the resurrection that guarantees it. We've already studied that. We've seen the testimonies of other believers that validate it. And now we are working on the glorified body description uh, that the glorified body description makes sense. That's where we're at, verses 35 to 49. So that's where we're at. And we're focusing on these analogies that God wants us to see. He wants us to know that You can't understand the fact that there is a resurrection body. He wants you to comprehend it. And I said it's really amazing that for a book that is, you're saying the epistles, is a long section, verses 35 to 49, it doesn't have a command. It doesn't tell you what to do. It just wants you to understand and to grasp the fact that this makes sense. I I guess I'm really blown away by it, because I'm just amazed how much he's putting effort into having you comprehend this reality. And it has to be with the idea that when you comprehend it, it will impact your life, the way you live. Because you will be someone that says, oh my, I am getting a resurrected body. I better better realize that this one, that is even compared elsewhere in the Bible to like a tent, that your spirit is residing in a temporary shelter. You need to realize that and then live accordingly. You look at verse 35 last week. We talked about it Here is where, as Paul begins this entire section with these two questions. How are the dead raised, and what kind of body do they come? We talked about the fact that this was incredulous to Paul. How do I know it? That's a big word, incredulous. I don't know how often you use it with your kids or anyone else. Incredulous. But how do I know Paul is incredulous? Because look at verse 36. You fool. I don't know if anybody went around this week and said, hey, you know, you didn't get it. You're a fool. You do that, most people get upset with you. I get it. But Paul is so incredulous. He's so set back because he can't believe these people who are professing the believers are thinking along these lines. And there's two underlying thoughts. Number one, that there is no way that God can do supernatural things. And number two, there is the idea that if God does this, it's going to look rather foolish because we're going to see that these people are, uh, th- 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 are just like walking zombies. And let me just r- remind you of both. Number one, we talked about this last week. We talked about this reality that g- the, the people, when they say, how can he do this? There is this underlying t- thought, and we said that there were 1st sec- and 2nd century writings that were being addressed that they knew that these people were doubting God's power. Like they were doubting that God could do the supernatural. And, and the idea when you say supernatural is like natural is like an order of flow that of the ordinary. Super, it's, a, it's above the ordinary. It was like God can't do the ordinary. He can't create a world in six literal days and I talked about that, how this has worked itself into so much of the current thinking today. Where even today, many Christians will hold to what's called theistic evolution. That the idea that they don't believe that God created an earth in literal success, because really God's not that powerful. We'll talk more about that. But the idea is, is that that's infiltrated even, I said, Christian colleges, Christian schools, Christian high school. It's like commonplace. Whew, you gotta, gotta believe in theistic evolution. Can't believe in a literal sixth grade, day creation. How incredibly foolish is it? You have to understand. Almost every Christian college today teaches that. And like I said last week, and I agree, it is a sin. It is directly attacking the very supernatural ability of our God, our power. And you talk about something that takes away from worship. Takes away from honor of God, the fact that He couldn't do it in a literal six days, and we'll, we'll talk about that. And then there's the idea that that, that basically um, you, you look at the fact that um, that, that when Jesus oh, lived and was on this earth, He did thousands of miracles, and I sometimes. Um, cite to you that we know the end of the book of first john jesus is said to have been able to fill more books than the world can even hold of all the miracles which leaves you scratching your head how many miracles did he actually do because we've said in the gospels there are only like 36 mentioned i'm thinking wow 36 you could write a lot about 36 but man how many more did he do i'll never forget going through seminary 30 some years ago. And the reality of it being taught, how the current thought in scholars today is that Jesus couldn't do those miracles. Jesus couldn't do those miracles. And, you know, those are just stories. Listen, I believe he walked on water. I believe he brought the dead back from, um, the, the, the dead back to life. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame able to walk. Those aren't just stories. That's truth. The second thing was that we said that the first century writing said, Oh my goodness, how could someone that's in decay, that's in a tomb, come back to life? It's in essence that you have a walking zombie. And they said that didn't make sense. And again, that ties in a little bit with anti supernatural, but they were saying, Okay, we can think God could bring someone back from the dead and you know in actuality every time god or jesus brought somebody back from the dead the worst that it the worst the person ever been dead was lazarus four days so maybe they were thinking well if this continued on yeah the decay would occur and boy if it was a year from today lazarus would be a shell of himself he'd be like a walking what we call today a zombie it just doesn't make sense and and they didn't grasp that they were going to get a resurrection body now I want you to remember zombies, and I want you to, every time you see zombies, because there's so much in our culture today, I want you to remember these jokes. Because when you hear these jokes, then you'll say, ah, zombies, stupid, okay? Why didn't the zombie cross the road? Because he had no guts. Why do zombies never eat comedians? Because they taste funny. That's a good one, you laughed. Why does, where do zombies swim? The Dead Sea. Okay, where does, and I'll just give you one more. Where do zombies live? Dead end streets. (laughs) Listen, my point in all of that is that you're never going to be a zombie. You're not going to be a zombie. And so I want that to be something that's indelibly impressed upon you. Now, as we go forward, I've got this quote from Warren Wiersbe. Bible teacher. Um, he, he said this, as we're going into the text that we're studying, we must all remember that this discussion was not written by Paul merely to satisfy the curiosity of believers. He had some practical points to get across, which he was tr- driving at in verses 30, 29 to 34, which was about, hey, don't be a drunk, don't be a party animal, don't be somebody that wastes your life because you need to put your life into service. And we wanted us to understand if we really believe in the resurrection of the body, then we will use our bodies today to the glorify, glory of God. And here's just two, synopsis, two, two points being summarized. Number one, challenge yourself as we're listening. Are we using our bodies today to stay away from sin Are we using our bodies today to serve? We pick up, as we look in verse 36, Paul says, you fool. And then he started this analogy, the analogy of the seed. And he says, that which you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. Remember, an analogy is a literary device where you compare something to try to make a point that can be unrelated, but you're trying to stress something. Paul is trying to talk about how we all can understand. You put a seed in the ground, it dies, it goes through a transformation process, but there's a continuity. But then we talked about the key line. We got to remember verse 38, but God gives it a body. We recognize that the supernatural aspect of everything is that God is the one that is behind it. And so, we got the analogy of the seed. He alluded to the word body, but now it becomes bodies. And from verses 39 to 44, what we're going to see is an analogy of bodies we're going to see these comparisons. And what it's going to do is give us seven benefits. So you turn your sermon notes over. Here we fill in the blank bodies because everything that was going to be focused on is the idea of a body. And Webster's Dictionary says a body is just the organized physical substance of an animal or plant, either living or dead, and would also include the makeup of basically anything. That's the way I add it, because Paul uses it for, for planets and, and stars. It's just, what's it all made up of? Verses 39 to, to 42, I want to say the first part, are like all one section. And, and, and what we're going to see is the first three benefits here. So let's jump into it And what he wants to do is get you to understand this is the way your new body operates. This is for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you get. So first point, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. And what he just wants to get all of you to understand as we're getting these benefits, we get a body that what? It's a unique flesh. So that when people looked at the fact that, oh, you know, I'm looking at this, this person that is coming from the grave and they still got the same flesh, and they were walking with zombie, those were resurrected bodies. Those weren't the glorified bodies that are gonna be permanent. And so you look at it, and I just think how ingenious that the the apostle Paul wrote this and he used such an analogy, and he says, verse 39: all flesh is not the same flesh. And when you (laughs) you define the word flesh, it's hard sometimes to, you know, like you say, it's the outer layer, it's the soft part of us. Sometimes flesh will even include the organs, Uh, you know. How's your flesh? How's your skin? That's the idea. Um, It's a key element of the body. And so he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of men, okay? And then you look at beasts and you look of birds and another of fish, all of them have a different exterior. Warren Wearsby, another quote from him, said this, Paul anticipated here to the discovery of science that the cell structure of different kinds of animals is different, and therefore you cannot breed various species indiscriminately. The human body has a nature of one kind, while animals, birds, and fish have their own kind of flesh. The conclusion is this, if God is able to make different kinds of bodies for men, animals, birds, and fish, why can he not make a different kind of body for us at the resurrection? And then John MacArthur goes on as, and says this: I've read that there are some 600 octo—I want to say it right—octodecillion different combinations of amino acids, and octodecillion is 10 to the 108th power. So, kids at home, you go home, you write 108, and then you follow it by hundred. Uh, um, you write you write 10 down, and then you write 108 zeros. That's incredible, the significance of the combinations of amino acids. Amino acids, MacArthur goes on to say, are the building blocks of all life. Not only does each type of plant and animal have uh, life have a distinct pattern of amino acids, but each individual plant, animals, and human being has its own unique grouping in them. No two flowers, snowflakes, seeds, blades of grass, or human beings. Even identical twins are exactly alike. Yet each is completely identified with its own species of or kind. Those two facts make one of the strongest scientific evidences against evolution. No matter what we may eat, no matter how specialized or unbalanced our diet may be, and no matter what our environment may be, we will never change into another form of life. We may become healthier or more sickly, heavier or lighter, but we will never be anything but a human being and never any human being but the one we are. The biological codes are binding and unique there is no repeatable or demonstrable scientific proof that one form of life has changed or could change into another. And, and this is where I talk about, again, you know, he's, he's just making up the point about bodies and the differences and the flesh is being different. But we just always have to remember never to be embarrassed about the fact that we understand that God's the creator and that God has set this in motion and that God has this all in um, His incredible design. I want you to to never fear the fact that this is anti science. The reality of it is, is the more science reveals, more God is. We have to just marvel. Like I said last week about the DNA, and I got to encourage all of you. You've got to take time to, at times, go down to our creation room. We have a lot of information down there. Schedule some time. Maybe even call the church during. Um, Tuesday through Friday, if you'd like to come in and just take an hour and sit and read all the different information that is on the posters that we've got there and go through the books or watch one of the videos that we have. The world is constantly telling you an incredible lie that, you know, some fish crawls out of the ocean and its flesh decides or works itself out that all of a sudden that it is going to turn into some other type of being. I mean, that is never happened. I've read Origin of the Species, very few people have. I've read parts of it. I, I don't want to say I've read the complete book. Even in that book, Darwin says these transitional. Um, um, examples will be found everywhere. And if my, if my view, um, if we don't find these, my view is absolutely um, worthless. Well, these missing links have never been found. And I want to always keep this in front of you because you're constantly bombarded weekly as you go in to your Monday tomorrow that the world is saying that we who hold to creationism, a literal six day, are the fools. When in actuality, they're blind, they don't understand, and they are people who are really the ones that are anti-scientists. So I know that we've got a wonderful creation room. A lot of effort's been put into that. And I would hope that you would take the time to look into it. So when you read a verse like this and, you know, Paul says, all flesh is not the same flesh, how in the world did he know that? How did he know not know that somewhere along the line that, you know, things were going to always uh, start evolving like they had been for the billions of years? Well, because the reality of it is he's led by the Spirit and he knows that. What you need to grasp is that I am going to get something that's unique. I'm going to get this resurrection body. And I have no idea what that's going to be like in the sense, but it's not going to be anything that I've seen. It's different. And I want to point out from verse 39 all the way down to verse 41. um, uh, Verse 42, when he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. That's where he's trying to make all of this come together, this first part. That line in verse 42 is sort of like the pivot. He's making all these points from 39 to 42, and then he's going to make more from that point forth. So the idea of so also is the resurrection of dead. The point is you get a unique flesh. Second, as we go on, he says in verse 40, There is also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly uh, is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. Now the word glory it talks about something that's significant, something that's marvelous, something that's beautiful, and we often, like I said, have said that um, what you've got here, what you've got here, is the idea of um, looking at looking at it from the exterior, and the apostle Paul is saying, look, verse forty. There's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the earthly is one, and the glory of the, uh, the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another, and his point that we're supposed to get here is that we're going to see this is different from anything that, that, that um, we have ever seen, so um, the idea is, let me see how I got this, it's different from anything we've ever seen, uh, is that as all flesh is not the same flesh there's one flesh of men, another of beast another of birds another but there are also heavenly bodies and earthly like bodies but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars so let me stop there that's where i was supposed to stop the idea is is that all of these are different and the point is is that this is something that we've never seen before i just want you to grasp that it's a simple point and and so if somebody's saying ha, what kind of body you are going to get? Well, it's unique, and it's something that you've never seen before. It's something that no one can say, well, this is what it looks like. And then if they say, well, then I don't believe in it, well, that's the idea. You don't believe the scriptures. You don't believe the Bible. Then third, looking at that last line in verse um, 41, he says, for the stars differ from star in glory. Now, all of a sudden, he's comparing within the, the, the analogy, and he looks at stars to stars. And I thought this was interesting, just a simple point that there, there's gonna be a difference within the, the bodies, like there's a difference between us within the stars. Um, th- there's a difference within the stars. And so to me, it helps me think to myself we're not always gonna end up looking the same. Um, you know, we're not all gonna be um, wonderfully made, five foot seven and 25 years old. Some of you are going to have to end up being taller. Some of you guys are going to end up being shorter. You know, I don't know how skin color is going to work out. I don't know how um, orientation of uh, like country, you know, how that's all going to be. But I'm expecting that God is not going to make us all clones, um, not twins per se, if he will, because there's going to be some differences. Now, will there be people that might look alike? Perhaps. But the reality of it is, is we have to trust in this and that God somehow, like he made stars different, he's going to make the people different. And I think that could be, you know, for you, you you, you know, we're not all going to end up like clones. And I remember back in the 70s, clones became a big thing and, and cloning people and, you know, and there came out movies. I think there was a movie with a man who cloned himself like five, six times where, you know, He just was able to do more because he was everywhere. And in Star Wars, the famous Star Wars movie, uh, they had the Clone Wars as a subset. The idea of all those guys in the stormtrooper uniforms were all cloned from one individual. They all, the thousands of, not millions of of stormtroopers were all the same individual. Why don't you ever thought about it? In heaven, you're gonna still have, I think, some differences and uniqueness. It's a simple point, but it's something to look forward to. But it's at this point, That all of a sudden, he begins to to change after he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 42. And he says, it is sown a perishable body, but it is raised an imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised the spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And the idea here is he's showing these comparisons. And instead of emphasizing just the comparison, I just want to emphasize the point. Look at the very first one we're getting a body that will never, ever, ever perish. Imperishable means that it deals with um, something that's enduring, lasting, permanent, long-lasting, indestructible. Death comes to everything that we know. When it's perishable, it deals with being spoiling, decaying, rotting. All of us have bought fruit. You go for that apple, you go for that banana, and you find out that it's been on the shelf too long. It's been in the fridge too long, and it's turned brown. It's gone bad. It's horrible. You you can't eat it anymore. Well, the reality of it is, every one of us starts off with this baby wonderful skin and we're and 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 we grow up and and before you know it all of a sudden we're we're 30 years 40 years old 50 years six years old and our body begins this decay process and none of us none of us stays that wonderful beautiful you know skin that's of great quality that a baby has because we're in the rotting process you know there's nothing in this world that doesn't die. Even redwood trees. Um, redwood trees, there's all kinds of different kinds that live hundreds, thousands of years. The longest lasting redwood tree is called the coast redwood, and it can live for 2,000 years. But guess what? Even after 2,000 years, it dies. With the reality of it is is we cannot imagine a body that will never perish. I, I can't. I can try to. I can marvel at it. We who are believers in Jesus Christ must look at this thing and contemplate it and dwell and think about this. Everything that we have dies. We're going to finally have something that will never die. You should write that word down. Never, never die. I I, I I can't imagine. And what the point is, is that, remember, this is all in the context of having an incentive to serve God, to not put your body into sin, to get away from doing evil things, to put your life also into service. It's not enough to be a person that's not sinning. It's not. It is you have to also serve. And so I want you to understand, like, go back. Remember when the Apostle Paul says in, um, Verse thirty two, he says, "If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Absolutely, if there is no resurrection, be a party animal, be somebody that lives and gets drunk and 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 does drugs and does all kinds of you know things that also would evidence laziness. Do that, but Paul says." Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you hang around with will pull you down, destroy you, because you're going to do what your friends do. And he says, don't do that. You look at the incredible genius that this was written two thousand years ago, and it's still today. Where we tell people, look, look at your friends. Look at the people who you're hanging with. Are they bringing you down? And so he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. Think it through. It's going to not only destroy your life to be involved in sin, but it's going to destroy your reward. So the apostle Paul wants people to understand that because of the way you live, some have no knowledge of God. So this is what Wiersbe was talking about. When you begin to understand that you have a resurrection body, and it's going to go through this phase, it's going to be unique, it's going to be different from anything that we've ever seen, it's not going to be a clone, which is a wonderful benefit, but it's never going to perish. It's never going to perish. How beautiful is that? Look at the next line. Go back to chapter, um, We'll go back to 40... 43 verse 43, "It is sown in dishonor. it is raised in glory. It will always be gloried, gloried, um, gloried in its beauty. So when you talk about dishonor, it deals with shame, humiliation, disgrace. Glory deals with beauty, grandeur, fame, praise. The second benefit is the glory we receive deals, the, 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 is the body we receive deals with, with glory. And, and we get a body that will always be glorified in its beauty. And with this analogy, we can understand how precious this is because one of the sad realities of it is, is when you get older, your body breaks down, and there is a sense sometimes of being put in shameful situations. I'm watching commercials, and they're, they're talking about adult diapers. Who wants to be an adult wearing a diaper? And, and who wants to be an adult that has to have a bathtub where you have to sit down because you can potentially fall? I can remember sitting um, you know, with uh, the difficulties as my grandmother aged, and, and, and thinking, man, why, why, <clears throat> why is she like that? Why can't she be like me, the five-year-old who's got boundless and endless energy? Well, the reality of it is our bodies break down, but you need to look at um, the idea that when they break down, they come to a place of dishonor, and it's not like anyone that takes care of a, an elderly person or a disabled person. If if something happened earlier, is like trying to you know shame anybody. It's just the reality where you feel it and you understand that nobody likes to be put in those situations. Um, you know, one person one time told me, who wants their child, their adult child, giving them an, a bath and then having to help them go to the bathroom and clean up after the bathroom? Th- that's It's, it's frustrating, and, and none of us know what is waiting for us as we all age. And, and the fact is, is that God wrote this, and he recognized that this process is, I believe, all designed for us to want to yearn for the glorified body that is to come. And, and, and so as we look at bodies breaking down, and they, when they even finally get to the last phase when you deal with death, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a morgue. How many of you have ever been alongside a person that's just died? It's amazing the transition of how a body that has life, Within a second of a person taking their last breath, all of a sudden transitions into something that there's no motion, there's no life, and and it seems to be, and I put this in the sense of a, a, a dishonored position. Who wants to stay in this world and have that happen? Yet, every one of us, this is the reality. Because we're cursed. The Bible says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. God has put judgment upon the fact that we all now are in the death process. That those words to Adam and Eve were not fairy tale. They are true and they've held true. And today you all need to realize the fact that you're in the death process because you've all sinned. And and you're going to physically die and you're also going to die um, spiritually, it's what's called the second death. So the reality of it is is that this dishonor is coming to all of us, even those who are young, even those who are filled with energy. And you can't stop it. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. And look at the fact that I, we're going to look, I don't know, 25, 30, there's all all kinds of speculation. How are we always going to look? But it's got to be absolutely wonderful to never have to go into the, look into the mirror and say, yeah, man, am I aging? Am I getting older? Look, there's more gray hairs. There's, you know, this is sagging. This is falling apart. It's always going to be glorified, that is incredible. God is trying to get you to understand this is why, though, you can serve today because you can sacrifice your body in service because you can realize this one is only temporary. And the reality of it is if you're not serving and you're still involving yourself in sin, you aren't believing this. And you can fool yourself as much as you want and say, oh, I'm a believer. But the reality of this entire a good portion of this context is what we just saw in verses um, 29 to 35, and then where we're going in verse 58. Your life given to God is not in vain. So please recognize that. Look at the next line. He says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And here, it never loses power Weakness is the idea of softness, feebleness, lack of strength. Power deals with the, the um, strength, competence, c- capability. So we get endless power. And like I said, I can still remember being a kid and running around, and I can um, go all the way back to 1967, if you can. 1967, I'm at my house in, uh, in Struthers, Ohio, Youngstown, um, and I'm looking at my grandfather, and he's sitting in his chair, and he's reading the paper, and the next thing you know, he's nodding off. How can you do that? How can you sit, Grandpa, in a chair and fall asleep? <sighs> just run, run, run. And, and the reality of it is, I talk to kid, parents with younger kids, and they just talk about the boundless energy those kids have. Well, now, my goodness, I sit in a chair, and it's amazing sometimes if I can keep my eyes open. I, I, I'm so frustrated, and I'm only close to 60. I, and I look at it, and I say to myself, it's just so exasperating. I would be someone when I was in my youth, I could do the ex- proverbial expression, burn the candle at both ends, right? The idea is that you're just, you're, you're, you're just expanding all your energy. You're using it all up, and you just seem like, wow, you can just pick yourself up. But the, the truth of the matter is, Is God has designed us all to age and go through this process so that we recognize we can't keep our power, so that we recognize this curse is real, so that you wake up, so that when people warn you about tomorrow and you don't heed it, then, well, then you've made the mistake. But the idea is for us to say, wait a second, as we're getting older, hopefully you're seeing this, you're losing power. So verse um, 43, the second half, it's sown in weakness. And everything along this line is still continuing the idea of of the fact that it is where we come to the end, and it's like planted with the seed. But the emphasis now has been more just we're going to emphasize the body, the body, the body. So the idea is that it goes into the ground, it dies, but now as it's run out of energy, we're given a body that has boundless energy. I can't wait. I, I I sometimes think, are we are we never going to go to sleep? You know, because um, right now I like sleep. I, I don't know about you. There's a whole pillow market out there. There's a whole mattress market out there. Kind of curious how you know you guys are all dealing with it yourselves. Do you have a foam mattress? Do you have mattresses that you know can almost flip you up? I mean, I I, I was checking out because they're they're saying I'm. And when I struggled with sleeping, I went and looked at one of these mattresses, companies that, you know, they they can automatically tell when you're snoring. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Becky and I were watching a TV show, and the, the husband was like, ah, ah. And then she turns to me and says, you know, that's you some night. And I said, that's not me. And she says, yeah, it is. Well, I don't know what's going to happen when we're in heaven because we're not going to have mattresses. We're not going to go to sleep or something because we have this endless power. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Lastly, it has sown a natural body. Verse 44, it has raised the spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And this is what I talked about before. It's spiritual in nature. It's supernatural, The idea of natural deals with normal, regular, in this sense, something of the earth, earthly generated. Spiritual deals with unworldly, non-physical. Here is a marvelous benefit. We get a spiritual body. Everything about our body is tied to this earth. I believe it is a spiritual body that we're going to get that is going to be unique. And I want to believe that it's just like the, the body that Jesus got where he was able to walk through walls. I mean, that one is, if, if we get that aspect of the spiritual, that's going to be just, I, I, I can imagine the first day in heaven, walking through a wall back and forth over and over and over. I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. I mean, how in the world are we ever going to play hide and seek and ever find anybody? Because, <laughs> okay, that's, okay. All right. Listen. The idea is that it's something of a different realm. Everything that we see is from this earthly realm. But we're going to get a body from a different realm. That's what he's just trying to say. And so here is the reality that it is supernatural. It's above the natural. And all of this is coming to us because God is our Father And we're going to get into the new race that we're going to become next next week. And this is all because God wants us to comprehend. This is the nature of our body. It's unique. It's different from anything we've ever seen. It's not a clone that we're getting. It will never perish. It will always be glorified in its beauty. It never loses power. It's supernatural in its nature. Do we get a resurrection? Absolutely, body. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And so when you look at these analogies, go back and contemplate it and dwell upon it, think about it. Let's be people who really recognize and understand how the body that we're getting works. And when we do that, God wants us to stay away from sin and to serve. This is no joke. We're not gonna be these walking zombies. We're not gonna be people that God can't transform. Trust in it. And the only people who get this are the people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to go through a transformation like a seed goes through. We're going to die. We're going to be transformed into something that still has continuity. But we're never going to deal with illness. We're never going to deal with sickness. We're never going to deal with aging. It's going to be something that's absolutely marvelous. So don't you want to be there? My hope and my desire is that all of you are. I've been sharing the ABCs of salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, call upon his name. Recognize that you have lied, you've stolen, you've done immoral things, you are somebody that is guilty before God. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the answer Believe that he was God come in the flesh. Believe that his miracles were there, not just to entertain, but to prove the very nature of who he was, that he was God come as a human being. He had to be human to die for humans, to pay the penalty of humans. He didn't become an angel. His death paid the penalty. His resurrection proved it was received by God the Father. Believe upon him by faith alone. Don't trust in your good works. Don't trust in the family that you grew up in. Don't trust in the words that sometimes you say. Look at the fact. Is your life transformed? I would say if I wasn't transformed, I would pray every day until God changed me. God, I need this salvation. Because C is call upon his name. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does that will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the understanding you've given us. The understanding of this resurrection body I pray God that this is something that we are contemplating I know God you could be a young person and think this will never happen to me I don't see myself losing energy but for the blessing of young people as they see people get older and people struggle with their health often their grandparents or aunt and uncles that they love and and they're dear to them I hope our young people can learn from this. They don't have to just wait 40, 50 years to come to this realization that this resurrection body is so needed. So we pray for young people that they'll grant it now. But for us who are older, how I pray, Lord, that we who are seeing it, even as early as in our 30s, that we are choosing to say, you know, this benefit that God has given us is incredible. Truly, he deserves my worship, my appreciation for all that he's provided out of his love out of his mercy he didn't deserve this and for us who are older and we recognize and have watched so much so much weakness come into our bodies and the bodies of the people that we grew up with people that we can remember that had that beautiful skin of a of a, a baby and then even a teenager and as we watch either ourselves struggle with taking care of ourselves, the reality of this resurrection body becomes all the more precious. Father, I pray that this is a congregation that gets it, that we are a people who stop sinning, like Paul said, and we are a people that serve. I pray that anyone that's here today and they see their body Break, breaking down, going through difficulties, I hope they, you use that to remind them that your word is true, your judgment is accurate, and that this body truly is facing death. May it cause them to reach out to you, God, as they recognize their guilt. How I pray that your spirit would be upon all who are unbelievers in this room today, but not because we just want to convict but because we want to love them. We want to give them the only cure. We want to give them the only answer that's long-lasting, and that is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.